0: our latest episode of Train Like a Trooper. We are actually down in Durant today um, at a DRE school. It stands for uh, Drug Recognition Expert School. And uh, Trooper BJ Keeling has has organized this. He's the statewide coordinator for DREs. And um, BJ, tell us kind of what this school is all about.
1: So, the school is a two-week school that all these students or law enforcement officers across the state have enrolled in. It is to train them to be a drug recognition expert, and it's a national credential that you get once you complete all the training and go through. um, You can testify and have expert witness testimony on impaired driving for the traffic homicide cases or for just your average daily driving under the influence of drug cases.
0: Okay. And so uh, one of your uh, you know, speakers or instructors here today is Dr. Jared Wagner, and he's a professor of forensic sciences at the Oklahoma State University Center for Health Sciences, where he specializes in research and instruction in forensic toxicology and chemistry. Um, so Dr. Wagner, tell us kind of what your role is here and, and what, you're, what you're teaching these, these law enforcement here today.
2: So, uh, as a forensic toxicologist, I specialize really in detecting impaired driving. Well, not as much as BJ, right? So he's he's finding drivers on the road and detecting right. uh, impaired drivers. But I help them understand the pharmacology of the drugs that are affecting the drivers and how they're causing impairment, and really um, what's happening with the human physiology when you have impairment. So uh, I take some of the lessons that that I've learned over the years. I actually was a police officer at one time a long time ago, uh, and as a I was a reserve in California and my first FTO, um, my field training officer was a very, he did a lot of DUI work and he had like got some MAT awards for Mothers Against Drunk drunk Driving and he was a DRE as well. It it was a program, it's now called the Drug Evaluation and Classification Program, but the DRE program originally started in Los Angeles and so we were a little bit south of there. Um, But being able to work with him and see how He could observe someone from across the room and recognize uh, pupil dilation and things that i just wasn't tuned into so i recognize wow there's a lot of really interesting things that you can see if you're paying attention and so this this is a great program uh, what bj's put together because it's it's training these officers to start looking for those clues and those cues that tell them someone's impaired because you know no one is my take on in in oklahoma we're fairly conservative but all the law enforcement I've talked to, no one has wanted to harass people that are using marijuana. No one's, you know, it's we ha, it's legal medically, right? So our goal isn't, <laughs> my goal as a professor, their goal in law enforcement is not to bother people that are doing that, but our goal is to keep the roads safe for our families. You know, I got four kids and, and a wife and I want them safe on the road. And if someone's impaired and driving, that's a problem. So um, that's where I think this is really important. And these guys, they won't make every stop, but they can be a follow on. So if someone pulls someone over and they're, they seem to be impaired and hey, maybe this is methamphetamine, maybe this is marijuana. Uh, these guys can be called in to do the evaluation and actually identify what's there. Right. And then most of what I do is after that. So. I do a lot of lab work, which is very specialized that identify, okay, so they've got this. Now I get a tox sample. And I do this for research. I mean, in practice, it's done at the at OSBI, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. They do most of the tox samples in the state. Um, but they'll do really complicated analyses. And so sometimes BJ will reach out or someone on the traffic homicide team, and I'm always happy to provide assistance and kind of explain, well, this is what that drug is. And, um, you know some of the different. Sometimes it's hey, we found this level. What does it mean? And that's all. <laughs> that's always a tough question. Um, but I always make sure that you know they have the stop. They have what they observed and what they think they're on. And it gets really complicated now too. We have something called pain management, uh, which is trying to manage people's pain. And so they'll be on a cocktail. Uh, sometimes we call it. Uh, a it's called polypharmacy, but it just means they're on a lot of different drugs. And it's challenging for these officers because is it a downer or an upper? Well, it's both, right? So they're trying to identify what class it's in. And sometimes what they're seeing doesn't match what the toxicological findings are. And so I just kind of help them understand those things
3: and and we see that all the time now more than ever when you run up on somebody or or make a traffic stop on someone uh you you know you saw the driving behavior beforehand you were like yeah something may be up and you and you make contact with that person and very often now it is a a lot of different things in their system you know before you'd think drunk driving like oh alcohol seven o'clock in the morning all right well yeah sometimes but more often than not bj we're seeing you know people that are on they're on legally prescribed medicine but they're behind the wheel and then it's it's a cocktail it's a whole bunch of different things well
1: and you know and that's the good thing about this school is it teaches
3: these these dre's that on that poly category
1: that policy polypharmacy use that there's different effects that can explain, and and Jerry can talk about that, explain to why at one minute you may see a dilated pupil, where in 30 minutes from now you may see a constricted pupil, based off of the cocktail of drugs that they have in their system, and those antagonistic effects of them pulling back and forth at the at the body's mechanics and, and systems.
0: There's a lot of science. There's a lot of science you guys have to learn Cor- behind yeah, this. Yeah, correct.
2: Yeah, and it's a little bit frustrating for me sometimes. Right now, Carl Saitek, he's amazing. He's talking about nystagmus, but I'm familiar with some cases in the past where people have asked police officers, well, explain why nystagmus occurs. This isn't for for the audience nystagmus, is just a bouncing of the eyes and it it tends to occur with alcohol and certain other uh, impairing substances. And Carl is teaching them all about nystagmus, but in my opinion, nystagmus is an indicator it's just a clue and an indicator like it's like i hear my car making a noise hey my car is making a noise i don't need to know like the mechanics of the engine to explain nystagmus so i like for officers i think it's great that they're learning all this stuff but i also feel like on the stand they shouldn't be forced to explain how the nerve works and what an action potential is and how alcohol is affecting it and why there's bouncing at the periphery i mean i think after this class they can uh but to me as a police officer, all you're saying is, you know, I observed the driving, this is why I pulled them over, and then you're explaining the different physiological signs and symptoms that you observed, and uh, I do teach the mechanism behind those. That's something that I teach, but I don't feel like the DRE should have to be able to explain that when the, when they're on the stand. I, they should understand how they're related, but it's it's hard.
1: It's hard for that, but what we like that, you know, what we've called you in for is, and they shouldn't, I'm agreeing with you, they shouldn't have to, because that's where you want to bring in Jared or Dr. Siddick or something in with that. But we also like them to have the background to know in their brain, okay, that's why I'm seeing that because of these things. And like, like Jerry was saying, I don't think they, they should have to testify. We have those big cases. That's why we call you in or call, call another specialist. that They can talk about that, but the DRE still understands that through his training and says, hey, this is why I'm seeing that.
3: And that normal patrol officer or trooper that works the road, it's very important that they just can identify and articulate just what they're observing you know something is not normal here's what i'm seeing in the eyes here's what i'm seeing in the corners of the mouth here's what i'm seeing you know dry dry mouth here's what i'm seeing you know how they're interacting slow or quickly or whatever Um, those observances are really important so that you know someone a physician can come in and say well okay you know very much we can explain that
1: and with the with the DRE with the DRE program, it, it's built up as twelve step process. And you know, the first step process is we we rule that out, call by doing a breath test. And the very second step that we do is for the DRE is we interview the arresting officer, so that way they can disclose that information to us and say, hey, this is what I seen at roadside. This is the clues that I seen. This is the what the eyes were doing when I seen him and, and occurred with him because that can also change throughout the process as well. So yes. in that process, it helps with interviewing the officer too. Right.
0: How many how many DREs do we have statewide, BJ? Uh,
1: statewide, we're around 160 something. That's all law enforcement, not right, just troopers. not just highway patrol. Yeah, troopers. I think we have roughly around 44, 48. I think yes. uh, the last well, the last podcast I did.
0: And so, you know, your regular trooper out there on the road, a lot of times if you get a case like this, you're, you're calling one of them out. Yeah,
3: yeah, we do. And especially on, you know, on something great bodily injury crash, something like that. We're definitely trying to reach out to a DRE. And there's other things, too, that sometimes you'll make a stop and you're like, man, they're not safe enough to operate this motor vehicle. And I so in my report, I'm putting my, ob, you know, my observations about how they're they're acting, but it really helps solidify a process. Prosecution when a DRE comes in that's certified, that's taught by a physician, that's taught, you know, this, this program, they could come in and really help solidify, uh, you know, the prosecution for that.
2: I want to go back to something we talked about earlier, and it was the legally prescribed medications. And I think, or legally used marijuana or whatever that is. And I think, uh, I don't know who listens to the podcast, but I think it's really important for people to understand that they say, do not operate heavy machinery on those pills. And what they mean is don't drive, you know, and I think uh, people tend, they get a, they build a tolerance to those medications. They don't necessarily look like they're impaired, but they probably shouldn't be driving. And so we're not trying to take away people's ability to, to earn a livelihood at all, but I just want people to be aware that just because something's prescribed does not mean that it's safe to drive with. And I think that to me, that can be, I've, that defense is just, I understand kind of where they're coming from, but they just really need to understand that if, if, if they're impaired, they shouldn't be driving because they're not going to have the reaction time.
1: And that's one of the main things we're battling with cannabis right now is everybody thinks it's prescribed as my medicine. I can take it and drive, operate a motor vehicle in it and it can impair you. I mean, so we're trying to get that out there that everybody's like, "Oh, well, it's legal. Can I've you got, operate, I, yeah. safely can operate as as a motor You need to be sure right. you can operate that motor vehicle safely.
3: And you've probably seen this too, BJ. I have several times where I will uh, I'll pull up on maybe another municipality or another police officer that may not have the experience in in dealing with that so, so much. And you'll walk up and you can immediately see this person is, is not right. Like he shouldn't be behind the wheel. And the other officer might say, well, they're not drunk. I don't smell any alcohol. Alcohol, and that's it, and you know it's so much, so important to be able to say, okay, wait, here's why they are not safe.
1: See, so, yeah, and we've talked about this before, but last year, I think it was in twenty, well, twenty nineteen was the first year that alcohol impaired crashes was surpassed by drug drug induced impairment crashes. Right.
2: Yeah, and I, it was only recently. Uh, I happen to be on the, the board of tests and at OSU, we're actually co-located with Tulsa Police Department's crime lab and it, it's in, at OSU in Tulsa where I'm at. It's the medical schools there and the School of Forensic Sciences. And we also have the medical examiner there. And you know, for a, a long time, the medical examiner was not doing cannabis in post-mortem cases. And the logic was that, well, cannabis isn't really fatal uh, but, you know, alcohol typically isn't either. But when you wrap your car on a tree, right. um, um, then then it's fatal. So they have now started uh, doing cannabis uh, testing in postmortem uh, cases in Oklahoma, which I think is important because...
3: Those numbers are important. Those numbers are important yes. but
2: because it, it's important for us to get the message out again. It's not about harassing cannabis users, yes. which I really have not observed. I know that there's... I've heard... I've heard from legislators and things that, oh, well, you know, everyone's out to get cannabis. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. You know, the law enforcement, like I said, that I've talked to, that I've worked with, they're not about um, harassing anybody. It's just making sure people are safe. So speaking of which, how do you guys have ways to tell if it's the phone? that they're on versus impaired driving. Cause I was on the way down here to Durant, you know, I was seeing cars it looks all very over similar. and, and, you know, they're just, they got the phone in front of the steering wheel and they're just looking at, it. I was like, okay, well that they're not drunk. They're just looking at their phone. So how do you guys, most of most
1: of us is just actually visually seeing them just like you do. I mean, as far as talking
3: to them, you know, you just have a conversation. We we make so many traffic stops. We have a baseline of what, you know, normal generally looks like. Not all the time. But when you see a flag, you know, those flags that pop up in your head like, well, that's not normal. The way they respond to me, not normal. I asked for their driver's license. They gave me their bank card. That's not normal. Those things like that. And then we then we go further. You know, it just starts with little observances and then it goes further.
1: I seen one the other day. We were talking about the driving with the cell phones. He actually had an iPad in front of the dash, <laughs> like in front of the speedometer watching a movie while I was, I was in an oh, yeah. unmarked truck. And that was actually our emphasis we were doing was I was driving an unmarked truck and had other units that I would call on my radio. I'd be driving on in the interstate just seeing, saying, hey, you know, what I see. Hey, just here's driving. one to call up here. And I just in a plain clothes in an unmarked truck. i dropped driving next to him like, hey, there's here's one." I had, And he had a full-size iPad behind the steering wheel in front of where the speedometer goes. Yeah, so, watching a movie really driving on the highway. I'm like... <laughs> hey, got you one. Come on up here, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. Of course, when they stop him, he's like, as soon as the lights come on, he you, you takes those at the pasture seat. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That doesn't
2: work. Yeah. Well, it is it, so unsafe, you know, and I think, I think um, it comes back to personal responsibility, right? And yes. so um, it's not wrong for people to get medications. It's not wrong for people to be treated for illnesses or whatever they're... I think the marijuana law is actually quite funny because pretty sure there was a 17-year-old boy who had a marijuana card prescribed by his gynecologist. And I just find that interesting. But um, the the deal is, is there is a measure of personal responsibility no matter what it is, whether it's underage drinking, whether it's legal drinking, whether it's medication prescribed by your physician or by whoever prescribed your whoever, I think it's a permit to use. It's not technically a prescription because there's no medicinal use, right? So, so it's a permit to use, but no matter what it is, we have a personal responsibility. And so the podcast listeners, wherever they're at, have a responsibility that when they're driving, they need to be safe, you know, and, and we're focusing on driving because that's what this is about. But I also, one of the, hats that I wear as a lab inspector for DOT type testing. So urine testing for uh department of transportation and um, there's now oral fluids allowed. And we kind of pioneered some oral fluid stuff in Oklahoma. And again, it's not, it, it, it's meant to help. It's meant to be as a preliminary screen. It's meant as a less invasive sample than blood. So, I mean, I don't have to poke a hole in you. You know, we can just have you suck on a little swab and then we can analyze that swab. Um, and that's starting on a national level. We do that with these DOT samples. It's about making sure that if you're in the workplace, if you're driving, if you drive a a big rig, when you're impaired and we've had deaths in Oklahoma from, um, big rig drivers that uh, we had the one guy that hit the girls from the softball team on, on 35 and he was using uh, a synthetic cannabinoid It's K2 or spice, So it's like a fake marijuana and he was using that while he was driving. So, um, I guess what I just want to—it's a personal. Everyone, it's their responsibility to be safe, you know. No, and yes. I think I try not to look at. It. I don't like getting pulled over. I don't like getting tickets. I don't think anyone does, you know. Um, you know, sometimes I speed. Is speeding unsafe? Yeah, it's that's why we have speed limits, right? So, but it's a personal responsibility, and I think. We do have to, I want to see the mentality, especially where this polypharmacy is concerned and, and drug use and alcohol use. I just want to see a mentality of not us versus them because, and you guys are in law enforcement. Um, I want to see people going like, hey, this is for our community. We need to make good choices so we don't let them go get the guy that's watching the movie riding in the backseat of the Tesla on autopilot or whatever it is, right. and not have to be chasing these drugged and, and drunk drivers. Um And I I should talk a little bit about, I do investigations with clandestine laboratories and I do some seized drug work. Um, I've been helping because fentanyl is a problem. So fentanyl is an opioid. It's fentanyl, not fentanyl people, and it drives me nuts, but fentanyl. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on detection and um, it's it's hard to detect and it's pretty dangerous. And one of the studies that I'm doing is is looking at officer safety. So we're actually, we have fentanyl and, and we're doing like using the, the pouches that do color tests and showing, you know, we're basically measuring how much of that fentanyl is getting up into the air so that you, because it's really, it is skin active, but that's not what's hurting you guys as officers. What's happening is, it's, it's a powder and it gets aerosolized and you breathe it and that's pretty effective. Yes, And especially if you don't use opiates, right? So if you, now, if you use opiates, you're not going to be as affected as someone who's, so we call it naive versus tolerant. So someone who's a tolerant user, chronic user, they need more and more. And so, but fentanyl is, it's huge, you know, we're getting, it's being shipped in, um, In the mail it's being shipped in over the border Uh, the cartels are running it just like they're running meth they're manufacturing it we just have a ton a a very high volume of fentanyl coming in and that's causing impairment in our drivers too and i think it's important besides the legitimate i mean it's important for us to recognize yeah you can legally buy alcohol you can legally get cannabis you can legally get the stuff prescribed in addition to all that we have all these other sources of fentanyl. Now um, so Alprazolam got very popular Mm -hmm. and so they stopped, they sort of um, cut down on prescriptions They made it harder to prescribe Xanax, which is Alprazolam and you know, but these kids are selling what they think is Xanax. Uh, They're Snapchat at school and they call them Xannies, but you know, I've explained to them, they're not really Xanax, so they might be a synthetic benzo. So they might be like uh, etizolam or Clonazepam, these different benzodiazepines then Alprazolam, but they'll also be fentanyl and these kids don't know what they are. And you know, we right. Tyler Skaggs um, was the pitcher. He was number 45. Uh, so it was tw- trending on Twitter there when he died, but he was an angels pitcher. He was down in the Fort Worth area. They had four or five tablets of oxycodone. They crushed four lines and or five lines, but they, four of those they tested and they were oxycodone the fifth line was fentanyl. Oh. It was a fake pill. And so they have really good pill presses that are making very, very, um, uh, I don't know. They look like the real thing. So they're, they're excellent replicas. And so, you know, you're on the street and you buy an oxy or you, you buy a Vicodin.
1: Counterfeited prescription drugs
2: yeah. And you know, which, it's an opiate, so yes, it's an opiate, just like Oxy was an opiate, right? So if they dose it right, it could be fine, but it's, they're different drugs and fentanyl is active at a much lower amount. And you and I, when we find out that someone bought something across the street and it killed them, we don't go across the street to buy that for ourselves, but we don't have really strong opiate habits. So people that have that habit, when they see someone die from it, they go, oh, that's really good stuff. and. So they're going to get it, and it's not really like Darwinism because they're not they're not eliminating all the customer base, and there is a certain high demand. Um, I think a lot of the problem did start with um, over prescribing, and you know we just had we have the National Center for Wellness and Recovery at OSU. Um, It was partly founded with the Purdue settlement that we got through the Attorney General's office. That that we're doing. First thing we're doing is treatment. We're trying to get people unaddicted, but we're also doing research and we're looking at things to counteract uh, some of the effects of those drugs so people don't get hurt. But at first, I think it was overprescribing, and then people needed it and they couldn't get it from their doctor. So what do they do? They get it on the street and they they buy it from what's coming in from Mexico and and um, so it's uh, it's not just legally obtained stuff. It and we there have been cases where the replica counterfeit um, pills get into like mainstream, but for most part it's it's all it's it's mostly um, on the street.
1: It's oh, we're definitely seeing
3: it on traffic stops and things. We're seeing a lot. And just to I didn't want
1: to confuse some listeners for fentanyl because there is some valid fentanyl that's used in hospitals, a fentanyl patch and things like that. It's a, it's a different basically a different chemical makeup of.
2: Well, it's a different delivery system. So, it's, so that's great. So uh, it's a, it's a valid point. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these, well, not cannabis, right? Because that that's schedule one, so no medicinal use, but schedule two things like fentanyl is Schedule Two, Vicodin, um, you know, in formulations that are legal formulations and they're set up one is a patch and, and it has a time release formula that slowly goes into your skin and, and gets in your system and gives you pain relief. And, uh, you know, we have, there's injectables and, and tablets and some things that just go under your tongue. Um, I think it's, uh, when you get into the illicit products market or illegal products or, or, counterfeits, you know, there are legitimate uses for most of these things. Um, but now we're, we're taking that product and we're misusing it. And like I was talking about the, the angels pitcher that was crushing and snorting, you know, some people prefer to smoke it. So they'll put it on like tin foil and, um, then they'll they'll they call it chasing the dragon but they're smoking those opiates so very similar like if you think about the opium dens back uh in in the early days of the u.s and uh when they're building the railroads and things like that and um you know Smoking it is a very effective means of delivery, uh, but they're also, we call it insufflating. <laughs> so it's a technical term for snorting, but they'll crush them up into small tablets and, and snort it, and then it gets absorbed by their mucous membranes and gets into their system that way. So, um, and then, you know, some people do just take, take pills. Um, I will say, so let's talk about eating real quick, um, because I love food, I do. But um, I was thinking about cannabis. When we smoke cannabis, so I don't happen to smoke, uh, this is a long career in law enforcement, so I, I'm, I'm averse to, uh, to drug use, but um, when people smoke cannabis, they can do what's called self titration. And what we mean by that is they can monitor their own dose, right? They can meter it so they can smoke and they feel the sensation. And when they're done, you know, and so I'm going to not talk about dabs, waxes, and shatters are very different. These are very high potency THC products. So high potency drug products that are not easy to monitor with. But if you have a, a typical joint or, or a bong or something like that, you can meter how much you're getting and you can see how you feel and then you can stop, taking hits when you're at the point where you want to be the challenge with edibles. And that's something we do some things called, they're called green labs, but with alcohol, we have what's called a wet lab. And so we can have people drink known amounts. We usually follow a national highway traffic safety administration guideline. Uh, We can have them drink different amounts and then we can measure breath alcohol and we can show how fast they're rising, how fast they're declining. What are the effects? It's it's really handy with it. So we call it a wet lab. Well, with marijuana, we call it a green lab and basically different cannabis products. We can have people use them and then observe the effects. And we can do the standardized field sobriety tests. We can do the full DRE exams. And I believe it was a couple years ago in Colorado, we actually did one. They put an ad on Craigslist like free pot. And all these people came down. (laughs) Um, The people that did the edibles though, for like an hour and a half, we're not feeling anything. And they were like, this right. is so dumb. You know, I didn't, this is nothing. And I, you know, they were kind of bummed. They got the edible side. Well, then at that point, when the edible started to be absorbed, they were much higher. They had a much greater sense of impairment than the people that smoked. And it lasted a lot longer. And I know we, in Oklahoma, we have a lot of people that use gummies, you know, they'll use them at night before they sleep and different scenarios. Um, and I think I just want to point out to those people that they need to be even more careful because the high that comes, they can't control that dose anymore. Once you take it, and a lot of those gummies, it's like eat, eat, it says like eat a leg or you know one sixteenth of a brownie or something. When you look at the actual packaging, um, but people don't really pay attention to that; they just eat it. <laughs> and right. Yeah.
3: Well, and that's what we're seeing, you know, on traffic stops or crashes, we're getting there and they're completely gone. And when you find out it's just marijuana, I mean, the THC level is so high. And with the edibles like that, it is 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 creating something different than we've ever seen before uh and, and very dangerous
2: yeah and I should comment on the CBD as well cannabidiol it's a CBD products are legal and we're also seeing delta 8 THC well delta 8 is not delta 9 so it's technically legal um but it is psychoactive and it is impairing so people need to be careful if they're using that but I would also caution people that use CBD products um CBD is meant to be THC free and it's less than 0.3 percent well, less than 0.3% of a, of a gram is actually quite a bit of THC. And so we have people that are using only CBD products. They're not doing anything that would be considered illegal, but they're going to test positive on a urine test uh, for THC. Even though they're not intending to consume it, it's in those products. So I just I, I think that's something maybe good to mention here. Um, because if people are using that, they need to be at least aware of that. I think.
3: Right, right. Uh, on the driving end of it, I mean, there's so many things. I'm in my head. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about drug interdiction. I'm thinking about all these different things that it's valuable for law enforcement and for the public. But on the driving end, really, what people need to get out of their mind is. If they're taking something that's legal or illegal, that's not what we're talking about. Are you safe enough to operate a motor vehicle? You know, we tease all the time. Like if water makes you drunk, then what you're doing is illegal as far as operating a motor vehicle. You know what I'm saying? So it's very much, you know, it's that argument when you stop somebody well my doctor prescribed that's not what
0: we're talking about they
3: that may be and that's great that's not what we're talking about it
0: goes back to the personal responsibility that you're talking yeah. about and whatever it is you have to monitor your own reaction to it and what you what you can
3: do and so on the drug interdiction side of it uh, I, I dabble in that too and, and as far as you know just on traffic stops and you kind of get into things where you're interviewing people and and things like that but um For officers out there listening to the podcast, what is something very important that you could tell them as far as, you know, um, uh, they get into a car and and they they see a powder, they see things like that. What are some things that are very important? Because I know that I've dealt with them and uh, I... I was telling Sarah of a, you know, example about a year ago that we got into a car and we, we messed with a bag a little bit too much and it, it popped and it and we kind of got exposed to some things we shouldn't have been exposed to. And uh, so what's, what's something we can tell officers listening, very important because we're seeing more of it uh, on the interstate system.
2: Yeah. And we don't have our magic COVID mask anymore. Right. So, um, right. sorry. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, so one of the things we want to do is protect protect our airways, but I don't think you need to be in a full face respirator to do that. Um, We want to minimize contact with it, right? So I'm a believer in the narcotics identification kits or the knit kits or pouches. And I understand that there are defense attorneys out there. There's some innocence projects, people out there that say, hey. It's just they always say sugar test positive, which I've never seen actually donuts test positive for meth. OK, so I'm going to throw that out. But there are color tests. It's an indicator. It's, it's just building probable cause. Right. So I'm fine. If an officer feels comfortable and wants to do that test and that's going to help them for the arrest, they can do that. I would definitely wear gloves. And when handling, um, minimize how much you're agitating that powder. You just mentioned, hey, we opened it up. we got some out in honestly. These are all presumptive field techniques. Yes. They're not really going to be admissible in court anyway. So if you have enough that you can affect an arrest and you can submit the material, look, if it's not the controlled substance, then they're not going to be charged. So to me, I want to get that stuff to the crime lab. And whether I'm talking about explosives or or, um, drugs, the definitive test is going to be what OSBI is doing, what Tulsa PD is doing, what Oklahoma City PD is doing. That's the definitive test. So I want to get that stuff there. And so that's
3: very much what we're telling our troopers is, hey, look, you know, you're building a case for the entirety of the of the arrest or the stop. And then just let's let's get that to a lab.
2: Right? Yeah. And I really do. I, I did have I had a sheriff's department uh, the other day came by OSU and I said, well, he had some fentanyl in the field and he also <laughs> this lady had some crushed uh, Benadryl as well that she was snorting, but um, he wanted to know what it was. And in my field tech, I have a Raman spectrometer that's a field portable device. It's, it's pretty nice, but fentanyl is so active. at such a low concentration. Anything less than 10% in a mixture is not necessarily gonna show positive on those instruments. And it's nothing wrong with the instruments, it's how they're designed, it's how they're used. Um, so, you know, you can have these pouches that are showing negative. You can have these instruments that are showing negative, but it's there. So what I did was I said, well, I'll do a presumptive field screen for you. I just happened to do it on a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. So I went into my lab and I took some of that powder and diluted it up and put it on the instrument and identified fentanyl for one and diphenhydramine for the other, which was the the Benadryl. So I think it just helps with itching uh, when they're using the opiates, but the, um, I did that as a field screen. So it was not to be definitive for court. It was just to help him to know that yes, he did have fentanyl there and and he had to be cautious. Now this isn't gonna end up going to court. Uh, she died three days later. These people, they don't, fentanyl is really dangerous. You know, we're seeing it on the news, we're talking about it, but people are still using it. And I don't know if they think, well, it's just not gonna be me or what the logic is. Um, but I actually wonder too, when you guys are, when you're, interdicting this stuff, when you're spotting it on traffic stop, when you're catching that impaired driver, it would be great if we can get these people into treatment. It would be great yes. if we can start saving lives because um, they're killing themselves with these drugs. And um, But from the officer perspective, I don't recommend that you do a lot of field manipulation anymore. Uh, we don't know what the material is. Just get it to a crime lab. And, you know, I'm going to try... At OSU, you know, it's important. We, we have been kind of helping on some cold case things. And, you know, I do, in addition to training DREs, occasionally I'll do, I train like sexual assault nurse examiners and drug-facilitated sexual assault type things, drug-facilitated crimes. And one of the things I want to do is we have hoods so we can handle all of these things safely. So I kind of want to make it a, um, I've, do, I've already reached out to Homeland Security because um, they're inter they're intercepting this fentanyl and they're having to work with it just out in the open. And I was like, hey guys, I have fume hoods here. If you're ever in a situation where you want to do some testing with it, come on over. You can use my hood. Um, so I kind of want to set up a center that would be like a triage center where you could, if you had something that you needed a field test or felt like you wanted to before you made the arrest, that you guys could come in and I could help you just kind of do that testing for, for your report. But I really don't want to see guys Doing that in the field anymore? It's just it's it's really dangerous now.
1: Yeah, I think the old days of you know used to field testing you just kind of done right there on the roadside, right. especially for troopers, just you know, the roadside wind blowing. You like, oh, see what this is real quick, and that th- those days those are days over. Are some gone. of the drugs, yeah. And if you've never been to like one of his labs or to OSBI's lab as well and seen, I know they offer classes from time to time, and I'd recommend to officers if they get to see that to go to one of those classes because they have big vent of hoods that have a shield that pulls down. They stick their arms through gloves and put in there, and then field test that stuff that way. So they're never really exposed to it. I mean, I go back to when I first got broke in. Oh yeah, I, oh, yeah. 16 years ago. It was like bare hands, no gloves, nothing. Like, ah, oh, see what this is real quick. Yeah. Oh yeah, I
3: think that's what it is. Smell you it. You know, smell it. It. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> we call uh, it field test. Yeah, yeah like, I
1: think that's what this is. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. th- those days are gone. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. I tell officers all the time, like look, put your gloves on, wear glass if you have to, and if it is some powdery, you know, if you have to do that, because I know there's some district attorneys and we're actually working with them to stop requiring field tests, you know, on, on things. Because there's some district attorneys in the state and working with Jeff Cyphers on that to get yeah. them to say, hey, quit requiring officers to do field tests. Well, and even when you look us. at it,
3: like you're saying, when you look at it, you go, oh, well, that's definitely marijuana. Well, we're seeing marijuana laced with fentanyl. We're seeing, we're seeing all of that. So, you know. And you
2: can't tell hemp from marijuana either. And yes. the challenge is crime labs can't either. So really that farm bill effectively legalized cannabis us-wide because we didn't have the technology to figure out if it's 0.3 percent or less okay so it looks the same it smells the same the difference is in how much delta 9's there so you know we've had stuff that looks like an illegal load of cannabis that's hemp by definition and we're we are playing catch up the crime labs are trying to get that capability in but my thing is yeah get it to the lab um i did work with a chemist you guys reminded me he he worked barehanded, like it was in the Orange County Sheriff's Department in, in the in the crime lab. And, and I, I'm always, I've always been big on you know gloves and you know no mouth pipetting and you know we we're getting past all that stuff, you know. And this guy would use bare, he'd have a crack cocaine rock and he'd be just putting solvent right over the. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, it's fine. And um, but we did. We had a testing program where we would occasionally test the people, not because we, they were using, but they had these environmental exposures. And we did find that they'd have, you know, they'd have trace amounts of these drugs on board. And that's one of the, one of my hats that I wear is training law enforcement on clandestine lab response. And I train bomb techs about drug stuff because some of the drug stuff will kill you, as we've discussed And when I train bomb techs about drug stuff, I teach them about, hey, these are the, you know how to make explosives and you have an understanding of that chemistry, I'm gonna teach you some drug chemistry. And when I teach drug chemists, I teach them about explosives chemistry because they know drug chemistry really well and they know those things that'll kill them, but they might not know about certain improvised explosives. So I kinda, um, it's, it's all to make sure that you guys are safer at the end of the day. So if there's anything I can do to help as you're working with uh, the attorneys, I mean, it's sort of like COVID, right? Mm-hmm. COVID forced, uh, in my opinion, it forced us to make some changes to the way we practice medicine that were good, positive changes in terms of virtual office visits, in terms of we, my kids, my pediatrician, he has something called TeleDoc that he used to do. And, you know, it was such a pain because it wasn't really covered and, and you'd, but we needed care and he was like, oh yeah, send me a picture. I'll help you, you know, but now because of certain requirements with COVID, they made that, Hey, we'll allow this uh, virtual visits. Well, I think we need to kind of have the same approach to the probable cause, the field testing, we really need emphasis. And so before I came to OSU, I actually worked at an FBI unit that we dealt with anthrax mailings and we dealt with, you know, chemical weapons, biological weapons and stuff. So for me, like I'm I've, I err on the side of caution when dealing with powders in the field. I think that it's time for a paradigm shift. And again, it's not, I'm not saying, oh yeah, let's arrest anybody and everyone because they have a powder. That's not the point if you suspect that it's drugs i just don't think it i don't think you have the means to test it accurately and i don't think you have the means to do it safely
3: well on an arrest you're gonna have other things that lead you down that road anyway that you should be that you should be building your case on you're just not putting people in handcuffs because there's a bag of powder there that's that's i mean that's not how you do a good arrest anyway
2: right yeah but I, i definitely think it's important uh for officer safety now um I advise, whether it's explosives or drugs, I just say, minimize your contact with that material. Yeah. Um, And I agree, attorneys, they'll say, why why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? And I I love that they're they're enthusiastic, but a lot of times they want, in Oklahoma, we don't need a level of THC. We just tell you if it's there or not, because there is no level at which someone's in, we don't have a level like with alcohol, 0.08% or higher they're impaired there is no per se for any of these other drugs so all the crime lab needs to say to you is i detected opiates i detected thc and it's going to be up to a toxicologist like me to say well here are those effects right and then it's going to be up to you to say well here's what they were doing while they were driving here's the behavior i observed it's up to the drug recognition expert to say i observed impairment with this testing that i learned in this class when i became certified as a dre yes and that sort of brings us kind of you know full circle
3: Sarah I, I this is so important for officers that are listening you know we we know that troopers and other officers listen and this is this is something very important really to to document what you're seeing and know what you're seeing is not you know, maybe the normal traffic stuff that you're seeing, or or vice versa, and then on the drug interdiction side, I, I, it's just so much here. Uh, we could probably divide this up into yeah. several podcasts and well, really dig into it. it seems like all
0: about education too. I mean, the, the drug dealers, the drug makers, they're coming up with new things all the time, and you guys have to kind of law enforcement kind of has to stay on par, and they got to be learning at the same time.
2: Right, and it, it's it's sort of unfortunate. Years like you said, I dabble in the drug interdiction and, and, you know, and we're looking at drug impaired drivers. Forensic sciences is the same way. I've got a community of explosive scientists over here. I have bomb techs what? over here that are out there doing stuff. I have drug chemists over here. I have toxicologists over here. So toxicologists, we're looking for nanograms. We're looking for 10 to the negative, a billionth of a gram is what we're looking for. A seized drug chemist is looking for a gram, a thousand milligrams of, billion nanograms and so those two communities don't even get along super well and aren't communicating much but because I do both I really and like you said education I pay attention to what's happening on the seized drug side to help inform the toxicology. And I'm paying attention to the toxicology. We're looking at people, are people dying? Are we seeing these? Because we're seeing a lot of the synthetic benzos we're seeing in drivers. So it's not Xanax, but it's a, it's it's similar to Xanax. And we're seeing those in drivers. We're seeing them in dead people. And so we take that information and I just make sure that from, from my perspective, I'm trying to communicate with the toxicologist what the controlled substances people are seeing and vice versa. Uh, and that helps. But, it's hard because you tend to specialize, right? I mean, we're, I think we're in a very big era of specialization. So, right, um, and it's, it is hard for me to stay on top of all the stuff that I do. You know, I do a little bit of arson, a little bit of explosive, but it's forensic chemistry right? and forensic talks. But I think for the troopers and the law enforcement out there, you know, they're gonna, it's okay, you can specialize, that's fine. But the great thing about it is know your resources. Yes. I don't know everything, but I know who to call. I know right. if I need a DRE, I can get a hold of BJ, I can I can get a hold of Dave and say, Hey, can you can you get these guys some help? Right. I know if it's a if it's a prosecutor that has a problem, I can say, Hey, Jeff Cyphers, he's a traffic safety resource prosecutor, you should get a hold of him, right. he will help you. And um, so for troopers out there, you don't have to know explosives, you don't have to know all the different drugs, but if you recognize some impairment, get help, you know, yes. get, get someone to respond. I, what is the time for a follow? Like on a DRE? What's the typical response time?
1: Uh, we usually try to keep it within 30, 45 minutes.
2: Yeah. So that, I mean, that's so fast. So, uh, to me, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know who does and right. be able to get the help. And, and like, uh, if there was a question for me or something, they can always reach out by email through our website. But if they reach out to one of you guys, I'm happy for them to, to get connected and I do my best to answer emails, uh, the phone, I just, I don't really answer the phone anymore, but um, (laughs) I do, I do answer emails. So if there's questions and one of the things that comes out of things like this is we recognize that there's a need for additional training. And when that happens, uh, we can host events at OSU, especially now that the COVID uh, in Oklahoma, we've done really well. It's all winding down. uh, So we, we don't have to mask up anymore. We, you know, most, most people there are vaccinated, but I couldn't have hosted an event last year, right? Um, but now we can again. So, and I think it's great. We're down here in Durant, um, the, ca- the casinos where we stay for lodging. We've done the training there before, uh, this time we're, we're in a local, uh, a localist uh, training facility different than the casino. But, um, I like that we can do things regionally. Um, and I'll go to Oklahoma city. I'll come to Durant, whatever we need to do. But I think that when we see gaps, I think it's important that we find ways to address them. And sometimes it's hosting a summit, right? Sometimes it's just getting the right people in the room. And I know working with the highway safety office, one of the reasons that the medical examiners is now testing cannabis is because I sat down with the highway safety office and I sat down with the medical examiner. I said, Hey, wh- I really feel like we need these, we need yeah. this information. And that was actually through, uh, it's Major Hampton now, but Major Ronnie Hampton uh, was a big uh, driver in, in getting that done, but it was getting everyone together and that's not easy to do
3: right
0: well we appreciate your time dr wagner thanks for coming on the podcast
2: all right thank you